Hey, I'm so glad to be with you again. My name is Jay Fuller, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Jay Fuller Interviews. You can certainly subscribe to the YouTube channel as well as join the Facebook group, Jay Fuller Interviews, and now on all the podcasting platforms as the Backfire Podcast with Jeff Fuller of Jay Fuller Interviews. But this interview is so good that I'm going to uh, be broadcasting from the church account as well, Living Hope Wesleyan, because we have the one, the only Sam Macho. Sam, welcome to the show. I'm glad to be on, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Hey, I want to jump right to it. Your book, Let the World See You, was terrific. Now, interest of full disclosure, I purchased the audio version because uh, I just could listen as I uh, drove. But it starts out right away with a friend of yours that ends up passing away. But it also connects with people saying, Sam, it's good to see you. It's nice to see you. Can you talk to me about was it nice to be seen and when did you finally enjoy not hiding anymore? Yeah, I think a lot of people, me included, obviously, struggle with identity, struggle with figuring out who we are. And if we know who we are, we sometimes are afraid of showing people who we are. I know I was one of those people. For me, yes, I'm in the NFL and big, bad linebacker. And on the football field, I will dominate you. But also there's this other side of being a Christian in the NFL. And people are saying, well, are you, are you getting angry? You're getting angry in practice. Are the Christians supposed to get angry? Was that a curse word? I heard? What, is, what is going on? Are you, who are you really? Right. Um, that was a, a, a battle, a struggle, a piece of me that I didn't really understand how to really, how to navigate. Well, that's in one piece, NFL follower, Jesus, one piece, but also take the whole NFL thing out of it, even the, the Christian thing out of it, people tend to hide. And so for me, and whether it's because of insecurity or shame or doubt or guilt or whatever, we tend to hide. And so for me, letting people see me and coming out of my shell was not only a call for me to be free, but a call for everyone else to follow me and join me in this walk towards freedom. Yeah, that's so good. And uh, in the book, Let the World See You, you tell a story about Larry Fitzgerald giving you a great introduction. I had the privilege of interviewing Dan Ryland, who's a pastor at 12 Stone, and he's friends with John C. Maxwell. And he had opportunity because of John's kindness to meet his hero, Billy Graham, at one point, which was totally unsuspected for him. For you with Larry, and maybe you don't want to tell the entire story because we want to sell more books of Let the World See You, but just share about how you didn't know Larry Fitzgerald until you introduced yourself and began that that friendship. Absolutely. Well, NFL locker rooms, like, like businesses and bars, and sometimes like homes as well, can be interesting places to hide. You can just be walking about your life, doing your thing in the workplace, at home, and not even let people see the real you. And I was somewhat doing that in my locker room. My rookie year, I never really talked to Fitz. He's this perennial pro bowler, future Hall of Famer. I never talked to him, but all of my friends had said, hey, man, tell me about him. Is he this? Is he that? Is he as great as he seems on TV? And is he as nice? And I, and I didn't know. I didn't know. And finally, one of my friends encouraged me. He's like, well, just go talk to him, man. I mean, I was, but I was scared. I was like, I don't know if I am trying to fit in, trying to find my way. And so finally I just had a conversation with Fitz and I told him, I said, Hey man, there are people asking me about you all the time. They ask me if you are as great of a person in real life as you see him on TV. They ask me about the good works you do. Why do you do them? What your motivation behind them? He said, well, what do you tell them? What do you tell them when they ask me, when they ask you about me? 
And I said, well, I tell him, I don't know about you. I don't know anything about you. I don't know about your likes, your dislikes. I don't know about you. And he looked at me, he said, Sam, why don't you just take some time and get to know me? And so I did. And that conversation led to a relationship between Fitz and I, where that relationship, obviously, we grew, he grew, I grew, but he introduced me to some friends of his, both two former presidents, President George Bush and President Bill Clinton. And then I had no idea this was going to happen. We, we, he said there was an event. I want you to come. I want you to meet my friends. He didn't tell me who the friends were. He just said I needed to show up. And so I did. I showed up. And all of a sudden, I'm meeting two former presidents, not just meeting, sitting down, having 30, 45 minute conversations with them about life, about Nigeria, about some of the work that we do. And it was a really special time. Hey, Sam, how many interviews have you done with your book, Let the World See You? Uh, I've done a good bit. I don't know the exact number, but probably a good bit of good interviews. Yeah. So uh, do you get tired of it or do you know that uh, in a few months you aren't going to be telling about as much about this book as, as you might be doing now? Yeah, I don't necessarily get tired of it because I think the message for me, the message of the book is it is an important message. So I don't get tired of it. I think for me, I think everybody during the this time of transition and looking at what's next, it's also finding balance. Right. So finding balance with with uh, with with telling people about the message of the book and also right. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. So doing that and then also doing some I'm doing some uh, some some college football analyst stuff as well. So I think for me, it's learning um, about the ebbs and flows, right? The balance. Um, but yeah, I think the message, I don't get tired of the message at all. It's a great message and it's a great story. Uh, how do you pronounce your full name, Sam? Yeah. So uh, as you see on the bottom of the screen, it's Samuel, my middle name, Samuel means heard by God. That's what my parents, so my parents name is Samuel. My middle name is Onyedi Kachi and it means who is like unto God. Almost it's almost like this this way of saying, God, there's nobody like you, right? Nobody can compare to God. And Acho is my last name, which is out of all those three names, Acho is the one people mispronounce the most. <laughs> Where did you grow up? I grew up in Dallas, Texas. And so was it an easy choice for you to play for the Texas Longhorns? No, not at all. Not at all. People don't know this. I was not planning on going to play at Texas, number one. I wasn't even planning on going to play football in college. My parents are from Nigeria, born and raised in Nigeria. So for them, they hear football and it's soccer. It's that's 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 the thing. And also education was super important for us as well. And it still is. And so for me, it was by no means an easy choice to go play football in college. But once I found out that I had the skills and the ability and also you found out I'm going to go to school for free, it was like, well, hey, this is probably going to be a good idea. And then obviously growing up in Dallas, having Austin be three hours away and having Mac Brown be the head coach, those those factors made the decision easier. How many siblings do you have? I have three. And uh, so your brother played with you. Here's a picture of Emmanuel now, and he's uh, doing his thing. He was on uh, um, with Oprah talking about his new book as well. It's just kind of cool. But what did it feel like playing together when you're in college? Was it nice having that accountability or was that kind of nerve wracking that you had your brother there watching over whatever you were doing? Yeah, it was something I was used to. For me, I have two older sisters and it's me and my younger brother. We, we, we always, we were on teams together. We went to the same school, played on the same basketball team, soccer team, track team, football team, even in all throughout growing up. And so for me, it wasn't, I kind of expected to have someone follow me. And so I wanted to put a, put my best foot forward because not only for me, but I knew that would also benefit 
my brother as well. Uh, tell that story, if you would, about how you showed up at a training camp or showcase and it was by invite only, but you guys were just there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How did you absolutely. that? Absolutely. Yeah. So we, so people don't know this. I, I, growing up, I was not a football fan. I wasn't. My Saturdays, Saturdays were spent for me watching cartoons. I was, I was watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I wasn't watching college football. And, and even Sundays, yeah, we'd watch NFL, but I wasn't this huge football network. My brother, he loved watching football, loved watching, watching. And so at 15, 16 years old, he heard about a football camp that was at this school, University of Southern California. At that time, USC was the school. It was, they had won three championships in a row and they were a perennial powerhouse. And so we heard about this camp and it was in California and we had friends in California. We were going to go there for, you know, we said, let's go make it a family trip, visit some friends, family, and, and go to this camp. And so we show up at this camp. We didn't realize it was an, it was an invite only camp. And, and not only was it an invite only camp and we, by the way, we weren't invited, but it was also their top 300 camp. So the top 300 players from the entire state of California were at this camp. And so we show up and, they look on the list. Our names aren't there. We're kind of trying to figure out what to do. And for whatever reason, they let us in the camp. And uh, I just dominated. I dominated. I didn't, I wasn't like I was there to try and show what I could do. I didn't, I didn't know what we were doing. I was just wanted to compete. And I just dominated at the camp so much so that they, the recruiter, recruiting coordinator invited me and four other players out of these 300. So five out of 300 up to Pete Carroll's office to, to essentially offer a scholarship to say, and, and in so many ways. And so that was how I got discovered, if you will. And that was my junior year. I was, I was, that was the summer before my senior year. So 17, going to be 18 years old when all this happened. Well, that was pretty amazing. Um, now, your brother, he's been featured. Again, here's a picture of his new book coming out, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. How are you doing with an election coming up in a few days, actually, and what we've been experiencing as a country in 2020, do you feel a deeper resolve in your faith or a deeper desperation for God during this time that we are experiencing? Yeah, I think there's ebbs and flows, I think is what, I, what I'm going through, right? You see ups and downs, when, whether, it, whether it comes to looking at like the issue of race in our country and what and where that stands, looking at the issue of even now going towards an election and some of the political unrest. Obviously, my parents are from Nigeria. I've seen the political unrest that you see in develop, developing countries. Now imagining, it seems like that America's getting more towards that, though it's a developed country. So there are definitely ups and downs, but that need for God is daily. It's moment by moment. It's minute by minute. Um, no matter if there was a pandemic, if there was uh, an election, issues of race and racism in America or not. Yeah, Sam. Sam Acho making some time. Instagram and Twitter is at the Sam Acho, at the Sam Acho. And I just want to talk about your parents. Uh, they have livinghopeministries.us. Uh, how did they prepare you, your family, just to be a voice in times like this? What did they do around you that uh, made you want this faith to be your own, not just theirs? Yeah, I think they... they they were walking examples and they still are walking examples of what it looks like to follow Jesus. By no means does that mean they were perfect, but they were walking examples. Some people say, do as I do, as I say, not as I do. Well, for them, it was more, Hey, watch what I do every summer, every summer for the last 30, 
two years. So since I was born, essentially, they would go to Nigeria on these medical mission trips. My parents started this medical ministry called Living Hope Christian Ministries. They started it because they were born and raised in Nigeria, came to America. They saw the disparities in healthcare, the disparities in access, and they wanted to do something about it. They didn't ask me if I, my approval or opinion, they just, God called them to do it. And so they did it. And so for me, watching that and seeing that growing up, I remember going on that trip when I was 15 years old, watching and seeing that as I grew up was really powerful because it just showed me that there's more to life than meets the eye. There's more to life than just amassing wealth and, and getting followers and, and even writing books and all the things there's more, there's actually impact that can happen all across the globe. If you would open your eyes to it. Now, Sam, when we look at your career, uh, you've had different injuries and uh, you tore a pectoral and that may have uh, been one of the reasons that led you out of the NFL or the transition that you find yourselves what was more difficult for you, being injured so you could not play or being benched because Khalil Mack was just signed? Yeah, um, both equal, both and. I don't know how to, you know, I think. So funny enough, when Khalil, so so when I was playing with the Bears, just on a multi-year, multi-million dollar contract, I was like, I was the man. I was the starter. I was the guy. And then we traded for the man, the starter, the guy, a guy named Khalil Mack. And I remember getting benched and that wasn't, it wasn't actually tough getting benched. I've been on the bench before. I've been the star on the field before, right? I've seen both sides. That wasn't tough. And even getting injured a few weeks later after that wasn't tough as well. I think both of those moments for me were moments that signaled a possible transition that helped me prepare for, because transition happens, right? You can't play forever. So sooner or later you have to transition. So it was almost like God was preparing me for whenever that time would come. So when, when we traded for, you talked about, we didn't talk about this on the podcast, but Joey Porter was a guy I played, I played behind when I was in Arizona with the Cardinals, right? Defensive player of the year, the whole deal. I took his spot. I took his spot as a, when I was, as a rookie. And so people's spots are given and taken away all the time. So I wasn't surprised by that. I think God was just more preparing me for what was to come. And some things your book really reveals is some surprising things about how you won an award or were a qualifier for a reward or award that led to money that you were able to donate to the mission's work in Nigeria. Can you just talk about how surprised were you at that? Or did you kind of have a feeling like something was going to happen? And honestly, did you feel like keeping that money for yourself? Or was that just something that you knew the ministry where it was going? Yeah, well, there wasn't an option to keep it for myself, right? It was uh, that, that the the... Even in that scenario, all the the, the money that the no- money was donated to a nonprofit of your choice, so that wasn't an option. But for me, kind of goes back to the point of of being you, right? Being you is is not just for you, but it's also for those around you. It's what the book talks about, right? Of let the world see you. Being you talk is is more than just for you, right? And I talk about this all throughout these pages. How for me that year in Chicago, twenty sixteen or so, I. I just got on the team and I was trying to find my way. And I realized that, yes, God cared about what I did on the field, but he also cared about what I did in the community. And so as I started to do more work in the community and care more, care more about what people were doing off of the field as well in my community in Chicago, I saw God start to provide, provide, provide. And so finally, fast forward, I got a letter, got this letter in my locker and it was announcing that I was the Bears nominee for the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year Award, which I was not expecting. 
wasn't expecting, wasn't planning for, wasn't hoping for. I didn't, I was like, they're not going to give me this. So I wasn't expecting it. And I, but I was a Bears nominee. And usually a nominee for that award would get $5,000 that could go to the charity or nonprofit of their choice, which is, it's, it's a big deal. Well, this year, for whatever reason, that nomination, not only did, did it garner you a $5,000 reward, but it garnered you a $50,000 reward to a charity of your choice. That was the year that my dad had had this vision or we had this vision to build a medical center in Nigeria. We had started building, but we didn't know how we were going to finish it. And all of a sudden we get this nomination. So it was like, wow, that went a long way to helping. And as we were, as we were helping build that, there are people who were in Nigeria who saw what we were doing and said, man, we want to help people in America who heard about it and wanted help. So they started to help and to donate. And the next year I got, a, I got nominated again for this award. And there was another 50,000 I got a chance to go towards building this medical center in Nigeria. And so for me, and for anybody listening, being you isn't just for you. Yeah, yeah. Being you is for the benefit of others as well. That's really good. Uh, I just listened to your interview with NEF Downs, and uh, you talked about the Home Team podcast. And that was kind of born out of the tragedy of Kobe Bryant. Where were you when you found out that Kobe had passed away? Yeah. So I was getting ready to board a plane when I found out that Kobe and, and Gianna and I think seven others had died in a helicopter crash. I was getting ready to board a plane to Phoenix, Arizona to record episode one of the home team podcast with me, Steve Carter and Samantha Ponder. Steve is a pastor, a tenor pastor based out of Phoenix. Samantha is the first female host of college or NFL ESPN countdown, NFL countdown. We had planned doing this podcast months before. We didn't know that what was going to happen, that Kobe was going to die. Nobody knew he was going to die. God knew, obviously, but nobody knew. And so I'm getting ready to board this plane. And I didn't think it was real. I saw that text from my brother. He told me, and I said, no, nah, this can't be. It can't be. And I remember not wanting to go on the plane. Not wanting to go on the plane. And, and I remember just, I got on the plane and when I landed, I saw the text from Sam and she was shook. Somebody had to ponder. She was shook because she had interviewed Kobe. She, she knew Kobe. She was shook and and Steve was shook as well. But we decided to go forward and, and record the podcast in episode one of the Home Team Podcast. You'll hear me and Steve and Sam talk about our reaction to the death of Kobe Bryant. Well, uh, the name of your book is Let the World See You. You can certainly find it on Amazon and all over. Let the World See You, How to Be Real in a World Full of Fakes. Uh can you just share for people that are younger and they would say to you, well, it's easy when you make it in the NFL, when it's, it's easy when you have a book that people are reading and purchasing. It's easy when you've traveled all around the world. Can you just talk about how it isn't that easy? Life is hard. Whether you are... NFL linebacker, a podcaster, a president, uh, a poet, life is hard. Whether you're married or you're single or divorced, kids or no kids, life is hard. Whether you're a pastor of a church or you know nothing about Jesus, whether you are a musician or a cook, college student or a kindergartner, life is hard. It's not easy. But we've been promised that Jesus will be with us no matter where we go. 
success or even perceived success in people's eyes does not make life easier. If anything, it may even make life more complicated. By no means am I asking for sympathy, but what I am saying is that life is hard. And so anybody who has lived life, if you live life long enough, you understand that truth. And that's why I wrote the book. Right. I didn't write the book, say, oh, look how many copies I sold. Look at this. Look at that. How many interviews? I wrote this book because these words needed to be out in the world. People need to see this. People need to read this. People need to hear about this. That's why I wrote the book. Right. There's a verse. I just opened up page 119. It says there are certain passages that most Christians know by heart. Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of these. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future. I said, this passage is a great encouragement to anyone going through tough times. It's a reminder of who God is and how he thinks about his people. But what's interesting here is who God was speaking to at the time. God was speaking to the exiles, his chosen people who were displaced. They had been taken from their homes and were living as refugees in a foreign land. God was telling them that he was taking care of them. And he's telling us the same thing. But what's even more interesting than this verse that, that everyone focuses on are the verses that come before it. In verse seven, God told the exiles, the refugees, the immigrants, he told them to seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find welfare. That was huge for me. God was reminding me that in that I was in this city, this is Chicago at the time, I was in this city to do more than just play football. I was there to seek the welfare of the place he had sent me. And in its welfare, I would be better off. This is bigger than sports, bigger than wins and losses, bigger than anyone's approval. God was already pleased with me and he had good plans for me. I just needed to expand my vision. So I say that to say that life is hard, but God is with you and God is with me. It's not about people pleasing. It's not about searching or seeking for approval or not about seeking an applause or a follow or a like or a retweet seeking Jesus. The way I start the book is I was on the phone with a friend who who had been battling cancer and he it wasn't getting better. And he 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 posted a message on Facebook asking for permission to leave, permission to go to go. He wanted to go see Jesus. He was 77 years old, but battling for years. It wasn't getting better. And so we have a conversation. And in this conversation, he says, Sam, there's two things I want you to know. He said, in my 70 plus years on this earth, I've learned these two things. These are the things that I want you to know. I'm leaving you with these. And I'm going to leave this, leave it all in this interview. We're listening with these two things. He said, number one, the most important thing you can do on this earth, the most important thing you can do is to get to know Jesus intimately. Hmm. There is nothing greater and nothing of more importance than you getting to know Jesus. You will benefit greatly and Jesus even receives joy when you get to know him intimately. The second thing I want you to know is that you are worth getting to know. Never forget that you are worth getting to know. 
So for anybody listening, anybody who's listening to this podcast, who's watching, who's listening, who's subscribed or whatever, remember, number one, get to know Jesus. No greater joy. Number two, understand that you are worth getting to know. You can find out more about me. I've, social has been all up here. If you're watching at the Sam Macho, if you want to get the book, be honored if you do that. Go to um, samachobook.com or just type in let the world see you anywhere books are sold. Better yet, go to Target. It's going to be at every single Target store in about a week from now. Go to Target, get your book, go to Barnes and Noble. Type it in on Amazon, and audiobook, anywhere books are sold. Let the world see you, samachobook.com. That's terrific. Uh, a couple questions, and I'll let you out. Um, thanks so much again for making the time. Kyle Carpenter, he was uh, a Marine, and uh, he wrote a book. Uh, he was often told, thank you for your service, and his book is, You Are Worth It. That's how he responded to a taxi driver that said, Thank you for your services. You are worth it. And I think that uh, comes out in what you just said. Um, I want to talk about the liquor store you bought and uh, leave that a cliffhanger because some people will be like, oh, yeah, just like a professional athlete buying a liquor store. But there's a, a good story to that. But what I really want to acknowledge but applaud you on is this is not a book that walks the line of maybe Sam's a Christian, maybe he's not, maybe he's talking about positive thinking and believing in yourself. It's more like the desperation of needing Jesus. So I applaud you for that. But did you ever feel like you needed to tone it down a little bit so other readers might? No, no. This book is about letting the world see me, right? And and, and yeah, I got to stop there. That's wonderful. That is wonderful. And so finish up, if you'd be so kind, with the liquor store you guys bought and uh, what's taking place there. Yeah, well, I think what we want to do, what I want to do, Jeff, is if people want to learn more about that, uh, just type in Sam Acho Liquor Store and uh, be prepared to be prepared to be uh, amused, delighted. Uh, first, get the book and then type in Sam Acho Liquor Store and then you'll find out more about that. Uh, sounds good. Sam, if or when, when the feature film is made about your life, who plays you in that feature film? Man, I'd love to, but if it ain't me, we'll find somebody who's really good at it. <laughs> Maybe you can do it, Jeff. Uh, I don't know about that. I always say The Rock. I'd have The the Rock Dwayne Johnson playing me. Not <laughs> I like, but he'd, he'd be a good one. Uh, I love that. At the Sam Macho on Instagram and Twitter, let the world see is the name of the book, and uh, just check out his parents' ministry as well, LivingHopeMinistries.us. But uh, Sam, we wish you all the best, and you are a man of your word, and I thank you so much. I know that personally, and I just want to share that with you. Thank you again for making the time today. Awesome, Jeff. Thanks so much. And again, that's Sam Macho. Just making some time. The name of the book is "Let the World See You." You can find this at Jay Fuller Interviews, uh, the Backfire Podcast with Jeff Fuller on Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts, as well as Living Hope Wesley. And we're going to post this both places. And if you're interested in what the church is all about, where I currently pastor, uh, just check that out there, Living Hope Wesleyan on Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts and Living Hope Wesleyan Church on YouTube. We thank you so much for making the time. We wish you all the best. Listen to people's stories because it will make your story much better, more impactful, less ignorant, and definitely help us to reach others. With that, we're out. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon.